All right. Uh, glad to be back uh, for Chris Ann Hall again and for JC Hall. Uh, I'm going to fix the camera real quick, if you don't mind. It looks like it's a little bit off there. All right. There we go. <laughs> we'll get it. Um, I got a few things I want to share with you that I think you're going to find uh, very interesting. I'm going to fix a little bit more of this camera uh, so that you get a better shot so I don't look so uh, so little. <laughs> you know, I mean, hosting for Chris Ann Hall, I already feel about, you know, trying to sit up taller. And she's about five feet tall. <laughs> she's taller than that. So tonight I want to share with you uh, my top five or top nine, rather, political reforms. And these are my no Bolshevik political reforms. These are the ones that if we could implement, we would make a tremendous difference. Will we implement any of my top nine reforms? I don't think we will. I don't think we will. But um, I'm going to share them with you anyway, because I think it's super interesting to think about systemically. What can we do systemically to, uh, to fix this country? To restore this republic, to regain our liberty, what can we do? Well, I have some um, that I'm going to share with you. Also, have you heard that uh, President Trump, his voice has been banned from Facebook? His voice, they won't, they won't, his voice cannot be played on Facebook. It is never to be heard. Who believes that Facebook really has community standards that they follow? They don't even pretend anymore, do they? They don't even pretend to have. I guess they do pretend. But they know that they have political cover now, right? They know that that nobody's really going to do anything about, about what they're up to. And again, one thing they cannot have is, is President Trump's voice or former President Trump's voice on there. It's really a remarkable story. I'll share that with you. Actually, I should share that with you first. Let's go right to it. All right. This is the uh, story that I saw today. It's absolutely unbelievable. Do you see that? Now Facebook and Instagram have made President Trump basically a non-person, right? A non-person. His voice can't even be heard. I was saying when they were issuing who's an essential worker and who's not an essential worker. You remember all that nonsense? I said, you know, they're going to be shocked when they find out that we can't have essential workers without what they call non-essential workers. Can't be done. Everybody's essential. And I felt like, you know, something is afoot here. I think they are conditioning us, don't you, to the idea of having, you know, non-essential people altogether. Look at this. Facebook and Instagram pulled the clip of an interview because it featured Trump speaking. Just speak the voice of Donald Trump, just a voice, is too repugnant to be heard. You know, I think about this often. I think about you know, if our voice and our face is too repugnant to be heard and to be seen, with what contempt do they have for us now? Right? With what contempt do they have for us now? The story goes on. It's the first interview that Trump has given on camera since he left the White House 
And he's been banned from Twitter, Facebook, you know, all that story. I need to go over all that. But look at the second to the last line. They were warned if they did this interview at all, it would be taken down. You know what some people say? Some people say, you know, what's the big deal? Really? What is the big deal? It's a private company. And that's true. Do they have the right to do it? Probably. But is it the right thing to do? And have you ever seen anything like this? You know, the truth doesn't have to be hidden. Only lies have to be hidden. And what I mean by that is when cancel culture has to control that much of, of what we see and what we hear, there's something so wrong in, in these United States that I've never seen before. But you know what bothers me as much as anything? It's that my neighbors think it's okay. You know, Democrats who I would attend parties with or sit at my favorite saloon with, they make excuses. They say things like, well, Bernie, it's, it's necessary, you know? I mean, <laughs> insurrection, you know? Insurrection. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible time. And if you ever, listen, I said this yesterday. If you ever wonder what's really going on, if you try to figure it out and, and you know, reason it through, you're going to be frustrated because there's really no reasoning it through. The only way I think to explain this, and I'm not talking about those at the top who are making these kinds of decisions. I'm talking about just ordinary people, you know, Democrats who used to be liberals. Who remembers when the ACLU would defend uh, the rights of, say, uh, Nazis to speak? Remember that? It, 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 let's say you have a, a guy who identifies himself as some neo-Nazi. Should he have the right to have political speech? The ACLC, ACLU said yes, and guess what? They were right. As odious as it is, as ugly as it is, if they are only words, if they don't really incite immediate violence, there's actually a Supreme Court uh, court case that governs that law. And uh, it had to do with, I think, a, a, a Klansman who was saying really ugly things. But if we don't hear these really ugly things, then we don't know who's saying them. I, I've always been a big supporter of like Alan Grayson. He was a congressman out of uh, Central Florida. And he used to say the craziest stuff. I mean, the absolute craziest stuff. And he would say things like, uh, this is the Republican plan for health care. This was back like in 2010, something like that, when they were really pushing for Obamacare, right? He would say things like, this is the Republican plan he, on, on the House floor. And he would hold up a big sign that said, die now. And people say, oh, my goodness. That guy should be uh, censured or he should be, um, he, he was guest hosting a show later. He should be fired. I said, no, no. No, we need him to say more crazy stuff. So my liberal friends used to believe this. The, remember, who remembers when the ACLU was liberal? Now my liberal friends have become very totalitarian. Their, their, their tolerance is what I call now totalitarian tolerance. So uh, Donald Trump's voice is, is too 
it is too much to even be heard on Facebook. And you know what the takeaway from that is to me? It is the big tech overlords way of showing you how completely under their control you are. Because if they can do it to the president, they can do it to you. That's the message. The message is today, it's dangerous to say ordinary things. That's the message. It's, it's dangerous. When you post something on Facebook these days, do you sometimes go, geez, you know, if I say the word patriot, am I going to get put on a watch list? Like, you know, Chris Ann Hall and JC Hall, they get put on, on these online lists all the time for promoting. Think of this liberty, liberty for everybody. Isn't that amazing. And now the government is starting to use the word dissident dissident who remembers when john brennan the former cia director said even libertarians are anti-government and they should be watched the same way that we watch terrorists and extremists that's what the government says so if people say well big tech is big tech you don't you know you don't have a right to be on facebook that's true if they say well, you know, you've got other choices. It's true. Not, man, not like that, but you, yeah, it's, it's true. But the point is they're doing it under the protection of government. They're public-private partners with government. Hell, they might even be running government for all I know. I mean, what do we know? You're looking through a barbed wire fence at the Capitol? All right, I want to share with you a few things tonight. I really want to share with you my top nine political reforms. And I'm going to leave the 10th spot open for you, and I'm going to try to read the comments. I want to read the comments to find out if you could have any political reform, which political reform would you have? Like, I'll give you an example. One of my favorites, tell me if this wouldn't make a big difference. I came up with these over the over the last um, I don't know, dozen years or so. Tell me if this wouldn't make a tremendous difference political reform. And this is not in any particular order. I'm going to actually show them to you as well. What if we had, if I were, if I were a U.S. representative, if, if I were a congressman in the House of Reprehensibles, re representatives, if I was a congressman in the House of Representatives, the first bill that I would uh, sponsor and I would introduce would be this one. You ready? No bill longer than the Constitution. That's my first bill. Uh -huh. Do you think I'm going to get a lot of uh, bipartisan support? Do you think I'm going to get a lot of uh, congressmen jumping on board and co-sponsoring that? Think about what a difference it would make, though. Why do we have bills that are 2,700 pages long in the U.S. Congress? Why do we have bills like that? Well, I'll tell you why. One, so we don't understand them. Two, so they can put other things in them. They're like Christmas trees and they put ornaments all over these bills and you can't understand them. Do you know in 2010, when Obamacare was being voted on, uh, we had a congressman in Panama City Beach. That's where I live, Bay County area. And his name is Alan Boyd. He's no longer the congressman, but he was the congressman at the time, a Democrat. He called himself a blue dog. 
and uh, he voted for Obamacare the second time. And it was the time when Nancy, when they didn't have time to read 2,700 pages. It was the time when Nancy Pelosi said, we have to pass the bill so you can see what's in the bill. So 2,700 pages, he had no time to read it. Guess what he voted? He voted yes. And guess what we did? We voted him out. Alan Boyd was his name. And he was doing town halls across the 14 counties that he represented in Northwest Florida. And when he finally got to Bay County, we were his last stop, second biggest county in his whole district, District 2 in Florida, 2010. I called a rally. And do you know how many people showed up? Uh, I, I do because we printed out Obamacare and everybody who came got a page, one of those 2,700 pages. And we had something like 1,500 people show up. And we had an effigy of the congressman made. It looked just like him. They stuffed this thing and had all these people. And they wanted to carry the congressman in and tar and feathers with a pitchfork. And I said, no, no, let's not do that. Let's show great deference to him. So they walk him in and we all stood there and they put him up and we asked him questions. This was actually when he didn't show up. First, he didn't. He canceled the town hall. The second time, he actually followed through. But when he canceled the town hall, that was when I called for the rally. And we had more than, um, definitely more than 1,200 people. But we knew because we gave a page to everybody. That's how we counted. And do you know, everybody became an expert of Obamacare. One page, though, right? We all became an expert on one page. And I'm telling you, every page was incoherent. It was absolutely incoherent. Nobody could have understood it. Now, Alexander Hamilton, you may have heard of him. He's a big shot uh, in Broadway. But Alexander Hamilton said, basically, what good are our uh, laws if they're so voluminous that we can't understand them, that there are too many of them? And that's where we find ourselves. So if we had a, a bill introduced and if it were passed, that no bill can be longer than the U.S. Constitution. Oh, it would be so tremendous. The U.S. Constitution, look, this is it. No bill would be longer than that. My pocket edition is only like 38 pages, little tiny ones. I think it's 4,400 words. Now, what would that do? Here's what it would do. It would mean every bill would be pretty much a single issue bill, right? Because I can't cram a bunch of stuff in that, can they? It would also mean that we could read it and we could understand it. No bill longer than the Constitution. Why should any law, any state or U.S. Uh, congressional act that gets signed into law, why should any law be bigger than the supreme law of the land. It shouldn't be. God, it would be a game changer. Don't you think it would? Have you ever heard of that? Here's another one. I'm just throwing these out there. I'm going I'm to show you my little list here in a minute. But here, here's another one. The bills introduced in Congress, they, they must be written by the congressmen themselves. And if they're written by a law firm or a lobbyist or a special interest, and they are, now they are, 
and they're purposefully written in a way that we can't understand. But this would be another political reform. The bills have to be written by you guys. You say, but Bernie, most of them are lawyers. That's a good point. But you have to write it. And if we find out you didn't write it, we'll treat it like plagiarism in college. Right? And there won't be any three strikes, you're out. You're out the first time, pal. These are things that would make a difference. But uh, I want to I show you uh, my, my little list here of um, my, my nine political, no Bolshevik political reforms. Uh, here are the top five. So number one, uh, you must be uh, an expert in the subject. I am so fed up uh, with hearing uh, uh, congressmen act like they are scientists, aren't you? Oh, I am so fed up with that. You, you get, um, I mean, now they're all experts. They're talking about, we got what, nine and a half, 10 years left before the world's going to, the planet's going to boil over, you know, with the climate change. But number one, if you sponsor a bill, you've got to be a, a, an expert or have some knowledge of the subject, for God's sake. I mean, you've got people uh, sponsoring bills Obviously, they don't have anything to do with it. They're being written by special interests, and the congressman is only the vehicle. Number two, if you sponsor a bill, you've got to point to the part of the Constitution that gives you that authority. I, I like that one a lot. Think, think about that. And uh, really, I'm not the first one to say this. James Madison talked about this. James Madison, the father of the Constitution, talked about, and it was it was at a time where there were members of Congress, I think it was the first Constitutional Congress. Uh, it, there was a, a member of or members of Congress who wanted, it might have been the first or second one, who wanted to tax, you know, use appropriate tax money for the purpose of benevolence. Right? People needed help. Financially, people were broke, poor. There were immigrants coming in, and somebody said we really need to take care of them. Here's the problem, though: the, the problem is uh, nowhere when the states created the Constitution, absolutely nowhere did the uh, the states delegate the authority to do that to the U.S. Uh, Congress. And if the states didn't delegate the authority, guess what? The, then that means they don't have that authority. I mean, they, they assume it and nobody stops them. That's for sure. But James Madison said, no, we can't do that. And he said, he challenged somebody. He said, I, I, how did he say this? I, um, I love the way he said it. Um, something about endeavoring. That's how they talked back then. Lay your finger on that part of the Constitution that gives us the authority to do that. This is huge. This is huge. So when they talk about passing a bill, limiting uh, the amount of, uh, you know, um, rounds that can go into a magazine, you got to lay your finger on that part of the Constitution that gives you that authority. 
because I can point to a place on there that says you can't do it. That's a big one. Don't you think that would be a great political reform? You got to you got to show us where you have that authority. And if you don't, you can't do it. You know, Thomas Sowell, who is one of the most important and influential people in my philosophical development. Uh, Thomas Sowell, he talked about um, he, he talked about about this. Any, and I learned this from him, gosh, 15, 20 years ago. If somebody says, Bernie, what do you think uh, about uh, this policy proposal? Do you know, because he did it and I thought it was so great. I do it all the time. I've trained myself to, to filter it through these things. Number one, uh, compared to what, right? Bernie, do you like Obamacare? Compared to what is, is the first question he asks as an economist. And that's what economists do because they're always weighing alternatives, right? They compare something real to something real instead of what politicians do and activists. What do they do? They compare something um, something that they want, some ideal with what there is now, right? They point to what there is now and they say, it's either what there is now or it is utopia. Right. If they compare, if they criticize the United States, the, the United States is terrible compared to utopia. And you know what? They're right. Right. If you compare the United States to utopia, the United States sucks out loud. But if you compare the United States to something real, like another country, then the United States is pretty damn good. And we need to protect it and make it better by making it freer right? These are important things. Number one, he would say, compared to what? Well, is, do you like Obamacare? Compared to me being able to keep my doctor? No, right? Uh, compared to all of the factors. And it was sold. Do you remember how it was sold? You're going to have more choices. You're going to have less cost and you're going to have better treatment. That's how it was sold. More access, cheaper, and, um, and better quality for free. It was like it was like in 1984. You know, in 1984, two plus two in Orwell's, in George Orwell's 1984. Two plus two, remember what Big Brother said? Equals five. Say it. If you don't say it, you'll end up in room 101, won't you? So I thought about this during Obamacare, and I thought, wait a minute. You're going to have more access, plus, plus you're going to have cheaper treatment, plus you're going to have better quality. One plus one plus one is three. They told us one plus one plus one is free, is zero. And immediately, of course, you want to keep your doctor. You can keep your doctor. Kind of like now, if you want to keep your guns, you know. It, 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 you'll be able to you'll be able to keep your guns. If you like your guns, you can keep your guns. How many how many of you have seen people online say nobody's coming after your guns? We just want common sense reform. By the way, who knows what the word reform means? The word reform doesn't mean uh, change. It means improvement. 
back in uh, in 2000, the big deal was campaign finance reform. That was what everybody was talking about, campaign finance reform. Remember McCain-Feingold? And uh, that's what we were told. There's too much money in politics, so we need campaign finance reform. Now, 25 or 20 some years later, 21 maybe years later, do we have more or less money in government, in politics rather, even more? Campaign finance reform was really campaign finance improvement. And when uh, news reporters or, or politicians would talk about it, I would always say, words matter, right? We need to use the right language. It's not campaign finance improvements, it's campaign finance restrictions. And because of this, regular people really don't have a chance to represent regular people in the U.S. House or in the U.S. Senate because it costs millions of dollars. And then they got a bunch of games they play once you get there, by the way. But it costs millions and millions of dollars to be able to generally some people maybe who can get in with less. But here's the problem. Let's say you want to run for Congress and you're an ordinary Joe. You know. Um, do you know that if you, you know, say a bunch of people who support you, they can only donate $2,000 to your campaign. They can't donate more. Who thinks that, who thinks it should, that should be removed? I do. You've either got to be independently wealthy or you've got to have political action committees because you're not going to get enough people donating $2,000 to you to be able to compete and get the message out. We need more freedom, not more restrictions called reforms. Campaign finance reform. Oh. So number one, when we're considering policy, compared to what? Number two, at what cost? Take Obamacare again. At what cost? Have your premiums gone up? Has treatment gone up? Yes. But it's not only at what cost in terms of dollars. It's also at what cost in terms of choice, in terms of freedom. Because without choice and freedom, we're not going to ever get better quality. When have, when have uh, we lost choice and, and freedom and the ability to, um, you know, to buy across state lines? That's what, when have we ever had less freedom and better quality? Doesn't happen. You'd think they'd know that by now. Let's go back to the uh, to the top five. Uh, oops, that's the wrong one. Here, number three, you must show uh, that government currently has the money to fund it. Does government right now currently have the money to fund it? Do you know that right now the federal government, or you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. Do you know that right now the federal government is borrowing Six million dollars a second, a minute rather. The federal government is borrowing a six million dollars a minute. That's how much they're spending. What is the national debt right now? Is it about thirty trillion dollars? That's crazy. Do you know how much a trillion dollars is? This is something that people don't realize either. You know, you a trillion, a schmillion. A trillion dollars? Let me tell you how much a trillion dollars is. You ready for this word picture? If you had 
a stack of $1,000 bills. And I mean, just laid normally, right? A stack of $1,000 bills. If you had a stack of those and, and you put those uh, four inches high, you have a million dollars. If you put them, um, if you put them 358 feet high, $1,000 bills, stack them 358 feet high, you have a billion dollars. How high do you think you have to stack those $1,000 bills to get to a trillion? You're not going to believe this. 69 miles high. 69 miles high to get to $1 trillion. And they're spending... I mean, God, I remember in 2014 or so, it was about $4 trillion a year to run the government, but it would cost more like $5 trillion. So we had a, a trillion dollar, uh, we were in the hole a trillion dollars. That goes toward the national debt. That's how the national debt keeps growing, right? They, they say it's going to cost $4 trillion, it costs $5 trillion, trillion toward the national debt. Now our deficits, that's the deficit. Those deficits add, added up are the national debt. Now it's so high, it's crazy. Now they just say we can just print money and everything will be cool in the gang. It's never worked that way either. You can, can I tell you one more story about how much a trillion dollars is? If Jesus, if Jesus spent a million dollars a day every single day until now, you think he would have spent a trillion dollars if he spent a million dollars a day every single day till now? Nope. Jesus would have to spend a million dollars a day every single day until the year for another 619 years to reach $1 trillion. He'd have to continue spending a million dollars a day every single day for another 619 years to reach $1 trillion. And these jokers are spending it like it's, uh, well, $1.9 trillion, and maybe we can take care of a little, uh, you know, it, uh, people who are not able to pay their rent. That, that, oh, my God. The special interests that get their hands on that and the crumbs that are shoved over the side for that stimmy. When we understand how much a trillion dollars is, it's, it's even too hard, really, for humans to wrap their brains around that figure. So that, that would be, you've got to show that, that, that the federal government has the money to spend it, and they don't. Right now, borrowing $6 million a minute. Uh, number four, I talked about earlier, you, Congressman, you, you, you have to write your own, you know, you have to write your own bill. You don't get to farm it out to lawyers or special interests to write it. The bill must be written by the lawmakers themselves. I mean, they're making uh, a congressman make, what is it, 175000 a year? It was, you know, a while back. It's probably more now. And their benefits are off the chain. It's unbelievable, their benefits. You're making all that money. At least you can write your own bill because now they wouldn't be longer than the Constitution, which is my favorite of mine, no Bolshevik, no Bolshevik political reforms. Um, number five, how about this one? Until they have skin in the game, they're not gonna, they're not gonna give a damn either. 
I think they should have to sign a personal liability clause. You know, get rid of that qualified immunity, basically. If you promise the bill will do A, B, and C, remember Obamacare, more access, uh, less money, and better quality, A, B, and C, and instead it does X, Y, and Z, then you've got to resign. If you sponsor or vote or promise that a bill when it's when it becomes a law, if it's going to do A, B, and C, and it does X, Y, and Z, you got to go. You know, if that happened, do you think that? Do you think these Congress people, the senators, who have six-year terms, and the House members, do you think if they had to sign a personal liability clause, and you make these promises, how often do these promises come true? Hell, how often? How often are the, um, like, well, again, well, since we're on it, we'll stay with Obamacare. What are the, what's the real name of Obamacare? The um, Affordable Care Act. The name is the opposite of what it is. It's so unaffordable, it requires subsidies. Do you know that if, if we were to, if the people were to add an amendment to the Florida Constitution, like we do, like, like the special interests do, I think it can only be 75 words long. See, keep it succinct. But also if the uh, Florida Supreme Court decides that the, that it's unclear, like if the title is unclear, then it doesn't, it doesn't even make it to the ballot. So what I'm saying is uh, we should be doing something similar. I mean, my God, the promises they make and the results that come are unbelievable. All right, let's go to the to the next five. This is one of my favorites. I call it the Mission Impossible, the Mission Impossible Act. Every bill that they pass should have a sunset clause, right? If the law does the opposite of what you promised, it self-destructs, which is even better than a sunset clause. A sunset clause means that we're gonna go ahead and pass this bill and if the president signs it into law or if the governor signs it into law, if it's a state uh, bill, then it only lasts so long. We'll see if it works. And then we'll have to vote on it again, maybe in five years or three years or something or 10 years. But this one's even better. If you if you sponsor and pass a bill and, and it doesn't do what you promise it'll do, just like the, who, who remembers Mission Impossible? Remember the, the opening of Mission Impossible where it says the, the this tape will self-destruct in, what, five seconds? Same thing. The, the, the Mission Impossible clause, that, that's one I would love to see. And then this is the one I told you about in the beginning. Oh, my goodness. No bill longer than the Constitution. Have you ever heard that before? I thought that up about, oh man, about a decade ago I thought that up. And I floated around. You know, I've mentioned it to Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio. Do you think Marco Rubio was for that? Mm -mm. This is what I usually hear. You ready? When I say that, no bill. Why should any law be longer than the supreme law of the land? Here's what I usually hear. Well, Bernie, it's it's very complicated. See, I mean, these things are very complex. You've got, uh, you know, when we write a bill, it, it, it's in response to a to another bill and another law. And I'm sitting there thinking, ah, there we go. 
because I have a three word filter that, that trips my alarm and my spidey senses go off. And it's this complexity masks fraud. Write that down. I used to, I used to teach, um, I used to teach college for three years and uh, I taught persuasive writing. And when I would you know, talk to the class about uh, the lecture for the day, you know, they knew there was going to be a quiz coming up on it. And I, if I ever said, you might want to write that down, I mean, I'm telling them that's going to be on the quiz. And I think that we all should remember that because when we see politicians say, well, it's uh, very complex. Uh, as a matter of fact, we saw that with the new uh, health. Who is it that President uh, President imposed Biden um, named as the uh, the new what is it called? It heads up the health department. I, I haven't looked. If you got to call the director of the health department, him or her, because he grew up as a boy and now he's dude looks like a lady is what I'm trying to say. If we could cue that up. Um, I don't know her, him, her, of course you call him her is what he wants. Um, but you know, you, you You've got all of these different departments, none of them constitutional, all of them delegated from the executive uh, uh, congressional branch to the executive branch, these administrative institutions. What was I saying about him anyway, the, the health department director? Which one were we on? We were on no bill longer than the constitution. Oh, hell, I don't remember the point I was going with that. But if we did that, oh, I remember complexity mass fraud. When when uh, when Senator Rand Paul was questioning the new health director, who thinks we should not even have a health department? Where can you lay your finger on that article of the Constitution where the states authorize the federal government to have a friggin' health department? So let's pretend that they have the authority and, and we've got to fund it. So this this person is sitting there, and Senator Rand Paul was asking questions about minors being able to mutilate themselves and have sex change operations. Do you remember the days we were talking about minors getting abortions without, without their parents' consent? Now we're talking about sex change operations. And the answer by the new health director was, well, it's a very complex science. Uh, see, talking to Dr. Rand Paul, by the way, it's a very complex science. In government, complexity masks fraud. But by limiting every bill, no bill longer than the Constitution, what we do is we ensure it's a one-issue bill and it's readable. God, that would be great. I would, that would be the first thing I would do if I was uh, elected to Congress. Number eight, you must resign if you sponsor or promote a bill that contradicts your campaign promises. That's what I talked about a little bit earlier. And number nine, oh, this is huge. You may not exempt yourself from any bill and you must live under the same laws as the people. How many times do you see elected officials exempt themselves from the laws they pass? I mean, you know, going back to Obamacare, even again, who remembers all of the waivers to Obamacare? Obamacare said it's going to be so good. Obama said it's going to be so good 
that in five years, they won't even call it Obamacare because they won't, won't want to give me credit for it. Well, it's been five years. And it's not so good. It's terrible. Because there's a big difference between health insurance and health treatment. And do you know who, who had the first example of that? It was Mitt Romney in Massachusetts with Romney Care. Mitt Romney had the, uh, um, the mandate, the individual mandate. We had to have a health insurance card. But guess what? Health insurance card doesn't diagnose you. Everybody has a health insurance card, but everybody has to wait in line for a long time. Those are my, let me see what you, what you all are saying. That, that, those are my nine uh, political uh, reforms. I, I, I do have a few more. I, I wrote that back in uh, 2011, uh, no, 2000, I think it was 2011, maybe. Here's one. Did anybody say this? How about this one? And, and tr President Trump actually did this when it came to federal regulations. If you pass a law, you've got to repeal two laws. Would you be for that? If you if you sign a law, pass a law, you've got to repeal two before you can pass one. That is the only way we actually uh, stop heaping on top of ourselves more and more restrictions on what we can do. God, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? And, you know, there's one other one that I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to show you this. This this really short video. This video is very, very short. But it's about qualified immunity. Who knows what qualified immunity is? Here's what it means. And it applies to police. It applies, which is the last time we heard about this, is when the defund the police crowd. They were talking about qualified immunity. They, they wanted to be able to sue uh, officers uh, if they violate our rights. But what they really just wanted to do was attack the police. But I've actually been calling for qualified immunity for all government employees who knowingly and willfully violate your rights, <clears throat> even city council members. I've seen city council members say that they knew that the lawyer said, well, we really, uh, we really shouldn't do this. It's not really within the law. And they would say, how do we know that we can't do this unless we get challenged? By that, they meant sued the city. And then a judge can say whether or not they can do it. And that's what politicians do. They take an oath. Uh, that they'll follow the Constitution and follow the laws, but then they push the envelope and they say, well, we'll wait and see what the court says, if it's legal or not. And too many times the courts say, well, yeah, you can do that. And government gets bigger and freedom gets smaller. So qualified immunity. Should we do away with qualified immunity? And when did it come around? It protects politicians. It protects uh, government employees from knowingly and willingly violating our rights. Of course, we should do away with qualified immunity. I believe the Supreme Court created it. It's not even a law. It's a doctrine by the Supreme Court. And they had a chance last year to revisit the issue. And of course, they punted. And they didn't revisit the issue. So still, you have politicians and bureaucrats who I most keep an eye on knowingly and willingly violating our rights with impunity. Here, check this out. This is this was put uh, together by the by the Institute uh, for Justice. Qualified immunity is a defense that allows government officials to escape civil lawsuits involving violations of individuals constitutional rights. 
qualified immunity stops individuals who've had their homes, vehicles, or in many cases, their bodies damaged by government employees from being reimbursed for the damage done. How can individuals overcome qualified immunity and get their day in court? They must show that the violated right is clearly established. That means finding a previous case where a court ruled that officials violated someone else's rights in almost the exact same way. For example, a police officer who sicked his dog on a surrendering suspect was given qualified immunity because the suspect was sitting down with his hands up rather than lying down. But qualified immunity doesn't just shield officers, it shields all government workers, including elected politicians, inspectors, and IRS agents, allowing them to have a case against them dismissed before it is considered by a jury. For instance, last year a court granted qualified immunity to members of a medical board who unconstitutionally searched a doctor's confidential client files without a warrant. Proponents of ending qualified immunity say it protects officials' bad behavior. On the other side, qualified immunity defenders say that it prevents officers and other government agents from being bankrupted over a reasonable split-second decision. But would ending qualified immunity open the floodgates for spurious lawsuits? The answer is an unequivocal no. Abolishing qualified immunity would not end the ability for officers and officials to argue that they behaved reasonably when making a split-second decision. That protection is built into the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. There are several procedural rules specifically designed against meritless lawsuits. If you can't show that the officer's use of force was unreasonable, your suit will be thrown out without the officer invoking qualified immunity. Moreover, officials almost never personally pay when they are on the losing side of a civil rights lawsuit. One study showed that the government paid 99.8% of the time. When people who swore to uphold the Constitution break their oath and abuse their power, courts are supposed to protect individuals. But qualified immunity and other doctrines prevent officials from being held accountable that's why the Institute for Justice created the Project on Immunity and Accountability. If we must follow the law, then the government must follow the Constitution. Boy, that's the truth. You know, uh, how often do you hear, uh, especially often from, the, from law enforcement, who say, you know, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You know what my answer is? Ignorance of the Constitution is no excuse. That's the supreme law of the land. And here's another answer of mine. Uh, ignorance of the law damn sure is an excuse. You know why? There's too many laws. That's why. There's no way anybody can know all the laws, which in itself is a violation of the rule of law. Because we can't know the rules in advance. And we can't plan our lives and plan our businesses. Qualified immunity has got to go. It's not even a law. It's a doctrine created by the Supreme Court, and now the Supreme Court won't even uh, reconsider it. They ought to reconsider it because right now, politicians have no skin in the game. They know they can lie to you, and when they lie to you, they know that they're going to get away with it. There will be no accountability. Oh, maybe they'll get voted out. Maybe. But in my view, that's not enough accountability. 
for stealing somebody's rights. All right, I, I want to tell you uh, 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 two more things. Uh, first of all, you can see there chrisannhall.com. And I know you're here for Chris Ann Hall and JC Hall. They've allowed me to get uh, fill in while they're on vacation. And uh, they'll be returning. I'll be back tomorrow one more day. Tomorrow, I think, you know what I want to talk about with you tomorrow? This is this is big, too. I want to talk about what happened to the American press. It's not just that they're a bunch of libs. I'm telling you, it's not. There, there's actually something that really happened. And there's a reason that the press has gone from being a watchdog of government, which is its which is its role, its proper role, to being a lapdog and to now actually being the corporations themselves. I'm going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. I'm going to give you some examples. It's an important concept to understand, too, because it's not the same as it was five years ago. I, I entered, <clears throat> I have a master's degree in journalism from USC in Los Angeles. And um, when I entered the program, it was to, the year 2000, okay? And um, and back then, there were, I think, 39 of us who entered that class, that, that graduate class. And of the 39, one was a George Bush-type Republican. He quit three weeks later. Two were kind of small L libertarians. In other words, they weren't really Republicans. They were more freedom, liberty people. That was me and a, and a, a lady that was in the program. The rest of them, 36 of them were liberal Democrats. So it was, it was just their worldview. You know, you ask them, why did you come into journalism school? And their answer wasn't well to inform the people. They would always say to make a difference. So even 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, it was it was just their worldview kind of informed their stories or inflected their stories. And then uh, things changed that I'll explain tomorrow. And boy, the last five years, things have really changed. <laughs> but as we're thinking about these things, and my goal for these three days has really been to give you new or more ways of looking at things to gain more clarity and to have another perspective, another vantage point to see something just a little bit more, not better, just a little bit more. One of the things I talk about, and again, I usually focus on three things, liberty, uh, property rights, and the rule of law. And I have this, this, Another one of my little filters that I want to share with you. But again, I want to remind you, chrisannhall.com uh, is where you can find out more. I, I was going to go over, and I, and I think I'll save it for tomorrow, some of the um, some of the books that most influenced me. And um, one of hers is, is in this stack, and I want to share that with you, I think, tomorrow. But think about this. This is really important, and I call it the setup. Right. If I can if I can give you something to, to carry around with you all the time from here on out, this would be one of the most important things. It's called the setup. And that's what I call it. It's how government uses other people's behavior, bad behavior to control you. Here's the latest example. 
the insurrection at the Capitol, right? The incursion at the Capitol. You see those guys holding Gatson flag, Gatson flags. Uh, you see those guys with the horns. Because of them, because of that many people, now everybody else needs to pay the price because of some bad apples. They ruined it for everybody. The government always does this. The setup on any issue on Obamacare, because 15% of, of Americans did not have health care, they said. 15, 85% did, but 15% didn't. Because of that, everybody had to be ensnared in Obamacare. Or at least, it, you know, if you had your own, then you didn't have to get it. But you know what I mean? That was the argument. It's always the argument. You know, about uh, back in 2008, I was on the radio and um, the state troopers were putting up roadblocks and they were stopping every car and they were saying, look, we need to see your driver's license. Why? What did I do wrong? No, we're just checking is all. I'd, I'd prefer not to. I'd be like Bartleby, if you know that story. I'd prefer not to. Well, you better. That's what he told me. The trooper. I got ensnared three times in like three months. Just putting up random roadblocks. Oh, there they are again. I would always hold up the Constitution and say, are you familiar with this? And the unreasonable stops and seizures. One trooper said, I'm familiar with it. But you're going to show me your driver's license. I did. But I said, why, why are you doing this? Do you know what the answer was? Because 5% of drivers... 5% don't have driver's licenses, valid driver's licenses. That's why. The setup, how government uses other people's bad behavior to control you. What does that have to do with me? And how does that, how does that take away any of my Fourth Amendment guarantees to travel the roads freely? One of the troopers told me, you know what one of the troopers said? Uh, driving is a privilege, not a right. I said, who told you that? So who told you that? Uh, he didn't know what to say because he just heard it somewhere. Like it's a gotcha conversation stopper. Uh, driving is a privilege, not all right. Now, I didn't get into this with him, but I'll tell you, these are our roads, right? Inherent in liberty is, is the ability to travel our roads, right? This land is your land. This land is my land is more than just a song to me. It's real. This is this is our stuff. We're allowed to move around here. Now we get a driver's license to show competency so that we don't run into each other. We know which side of the road to drive on, right? But it's not a privilege to travel our roads. That's a part of liberty, damn it. Here, here's what a privilege is. When my kids were younger, one of them is now uh, uh, older than 18, and the other one is almost 18. But when they were younger, if they say, Daddy, can we go to the movies? Guess what daddies get to say? Because it's a privilege. We get to say yes or no. You don't have a right to go to a movie, right? That's a privilege. And the relationship between our kids and parents is not the same relationship between citizens and the government it's not that kind of relationship so don't ever let anybody tell you driving is a privilege not a right no dad it's a right we have a right to get around now we, we prove that we know how to do it but the, you know the setup if you look at anything that politicians are pushing whether it's local 
Now here's another one. And I think I think the court, I think the state Supreme Court overturned this. I don't even remember the city. There are 412 cities in Florida and there are 67 counties in Florida. So each of them have their own little fiefdoms. It's called home rule. So one of these cities, and a lot of cities do this, they they mistake their role as uh, as if they're a, a HOA, right? A homeowner association. And so one of these cities said, uh, you cannot grow vegetables in your front yard. Can't grow vegetables in the front yard. Whose yard is it? If you tell me I can't grow vegetables in my yard, it's not really my yard. Daddy, can I go to the movies? Daddy, can I grow vegetables in the front yard? So what was the reason that those politicians said they had to do that? Well, there was some house or a few houses that had messes in their front yards and had people growing all kinds of stuff in the front yard. And because of that, of course, they had to swoop into action. Really, it was special interest pushing them for something or other. I can't remember the, the, the details of that particular story, but it was the setup. How government uses other people's bad behavior to control you. Please keep that paradigm in your head. And uh, with that, I think I'm going to wrap this one up and uh, save some of the other stuff for tomorrow. I really want to get into what happened to the American press in these United States because it's changed a lot. And it's not as simple as just saying, well, you know, a bunch of liberals. It used to be that. A lot of other things have happened since then. Um, again, uh, I'm so grateful to Chris Ann Hall and JC Hall. We've been friends for a long time. And I've learned so much about the Constitution uh, from Chris Ann Hall and from JC Hall. Um, a good friend of mine, and I, we call her the constitutional genealogist because she teaches about the origin of liberty in the Constitution and the history of it, doesn't she? And the fragility of liberty. Thomas Jefferson said it's the natural state of things for uh, government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. It's the natural state of things. And isn't that true? All the time, we've got to stand up, stand athwart the government and yell, stop. Right now in America, it's time for the states to stand athwart the federal government and yell, stop. We're not doing that. We never gave you that authority. Yeah, but the uh, the Supreme Court ruled. Well, hell, we created the Supreme Court. I don't care what they say. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that we created the Supreme Court. Where do you think it came from? The states created the Constitution. Three branches of government. They didn't create one branch of government to lord over them. States need to reassert themselves. And that's part of the lesson, by the way, in Chrisanne's book, Sovereign Duty. See that? There we go. Oh, if I go that way, I go. There we go. Sovereign Duty, Chrisanne Hall's great book that she signed to me. And she has a part in there about the importance of sheriffs, as I was talking about uh, yesterday. But I'm so grateful to Chris Ann Hall, and I'm so grateful to you for, uh, for being with me and for sticking around as I try to fill in those shoes. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here, see if I can get it right. And I will uh, see you back here tomorrow 
one more time.